Well, as you read the book of James, you realize there's not a verse 21. Uh, but it, it stops here, so this is going to be our last uh, time uh, looking at this. We may look at a recap next week when we do our communion. Uh, but uh, my plan, Lord willing, is to go to First Peter um, as we continue in our study. So um, you're already used to turning to James. First Peter, you see, is right there, uh, next page over. Uh, and so we'll uh, look to that if you want to go ahead and start reading and learning a little bit more about what we're about to get into. Of course, free to do that. One of my favorite shows I, I've enjoyed watching um, in the last couple of years is uh, the show Running Wild with Bear Grylls. Uh, so, Running Wild with Bear Grylls is this uh, uh, fella, a British guy that uh, you know, takes celebrities out and they go out to some extreme uh, wilderness condition and uh, there spend the night uh, and they eat whatever they can catch and usually something gross and, um, and, and they go through some kind of scary experience. Um, Bear Gorillas is, is a believer, a follower of Christ. I've, I've listened to his testimony. This is part of promoting a, a course called Alpha uh, Course. Um, and so it's kind of interesting just to hear him every once in a while uh, talk about his faith. Um, but one of the things I was noticing uh, in one of the shows is that they were up on this um, really steep peak of the mountain, really rocky. I think he was there with... Uh, Derek, um, uh, the dancer, I can't remember his name, um, but he's, you know, lightweight dude. And, uh, they were up there, and as they were uh, traversing and rocks were falling, his, his survival tactic was to take a rope and tie it to him and then tie it to the Derek, the celebrity guy. And so the thought was, if one of them fell, the other person would be there to help hold on so he would not fall all the way down. And I was just thinking about that tax, and I was like, okay, that's an interesting concept. Um, yes, it provides safety, but at the same time, it doubles your risk. Because it's not just if you fall, now you're concerned about your partner falling, and if they fall, then you become at risk. And so, yes, you, you've doubled your security, but you also, at the same time, have doubled your risk. And so I was talking about that with, with Julie and my wife, and, and she quickly said, yeah, I don't think you would want to be tied to me on that mountain. I said, like, you're right. Because <laughs> I know her balance issue is not the best. I was like, it's probably best if you just don't get on that mountain and, and we'll be okay. Uh, and so who you are tied to uh, really matters in that situation. I was thinking about that as I was I've been studying our text, which is about uh, brothers and sisters coming alongside of one another and reclaiming them for the faith in Christ. And I thought, you know, as I read James chapter 5, verse 16 through 20, it's very much like that when you come a, a believer in Jesus Christ, you are to be a part of a community and you are to be tied to one another. So if one falls, you feel it, and you're there to help bring them back up. And so there is a brother that you're tied to, a sister that you're tied to, uh, but you can also feel the drag down the mountain when a brother or sister in the church family falls away from Christ. And so there is within a church uh, this idea that we are tied to one another. 
I was sharing, I listened to one of my uh, believing friends, and he was sharing about their sister, and who was really struggling, and her husband's really struggling to the point of depression, to the point of addictions, uh, with job loss, and just uh, really weighty matters. And he was just sharing with me that you know, he, she's always been a part of a church, but it's a, a church that where they would share with one another is usually just in regards to physical needs. And no one ever talks about heart struggles. No one talks about mental sicknesses. No one talks about emotional trauma because if they bring it up, then it's too messy and folks don't know what to do with that. And so, in effect, the church has been ineffective for her. And she's reaching out to her brother uh, and to his wife to be someone that can really be there to bear the, the brunt with her. I thought, you know, that's often the case. And as I read James chapter 5, verse 16 through 20, it is a plea. It is a, a shout out to the church. Be the church. Be a place where someone can be trusted. You don't have to trust everybody because only a fool just lets it all out to everyone that passes by. But there ought to be someone within a church body that you can cry with. And the, the simple part is, if you can't cry in a church, then where can you cry? So many times, we just want to kind of tuck it in, don't show that self, because we don't want people to feel uncomfortable with our own mess. We don't want to be seen as messy. And that context let me read to you James chapter 5 verse 16 through 20 I want to ask that you stand as we read this together you read silently as I read aloud to you we looked at verse 16 through 18 last week as we looked at prayer I think it has an, another interesting uh, understanding as we conclude verse 19 and 20 therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You may be seated. Let me just do a little bit of review. The book of James we've been teaching is about having wholehearted worship of Jesus Christ. And, and all that he's bringing out is symptoms of your heart, and his things he's addressing are how to bring our heart to Christ. And, and you read James chapter 3, and it's like, well, I thought that was about the tongue. Yes, it is about your words, about your tongues, but your words reveal your hearts. Uh, and so uh, it opens up by beginning uh, thinking about thanking God for trials and temptations and sufferings because in it God can work patience in your life and, and patience does its work to help you to be complete or in other words, wholehearted. Uh, your translation might say perfect. And so we thank God for these moments of, of difficulty and trials because in it God is 
bringing our heart under his authority. And so we see all through the book of James is this theme of our heart going out. As we looked in James chapter 4, we learned that being full of self brings misery into every relationship. We, it says, what causes the world well, quarrels? What causes these fights among you? Is it not because your desires are at war within you that there is a, a desire in your heart for yourself and they're in conflict? So uh, double-mindedness is healed by God's grace. And so we've learned that part of the problem is this double-minded, double-conflicted heart, but God's grace can heal our heart, can bring our mind into purity. God's grace is given to the humble. While God resists those full of themselves. So how do we have God's grace? He says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humility is a big part of this. And this is why confession matters. Because it's a part of humbling ourselves. Therefore, pursue resting in God's authority. Say, let my heart be healed by being in submission to God's authority. Let my desires fall under Him. To pursue resting in God's authority. We, we saw in James 4 what that looks like with our money. How that looks with our relationships with others. And so wisdom is the ability to see the beauty of God's authority in every circumstance. He says, if you need wisdom, then pray for it. And God will give generously to those who ask in faith. With wisdom, this ability to see how beautiful God's authority is in every single circumstance. When our mind and emotion screams, we don't like what we're dealing with, we look to God's authority and say, God, are you doing something beautiful in something that feels so miserable? Wisdom says yes and shows you how. Now, patience with others demands wholehearted worship with Christ. Patience with others is, you're, you're going to find as you have a family, as you, as you have people around you, and they get in your way of your agenda, get in the way of your desires, and exposes, is your desires worth getting angry about? And, and it's a way for us to see, wait a second, if I'm either going to be really angry and bitter with my life and with others, or I'm going to learn patience and a sweetness. Trials alone do not produce sweetness. You know that, right? You can become bitter. The same trials that turn someone bitter can create a pearl within you if you are looking to God's authority and trusting in that. So patience with others is going to demand wholehearted worship of, of Christ. Prayer, as we learned last week, is an expression of wholehearted worship. It can be an expression of wholehearted worship, lifting up our hearts to the Lord. Now, we're going to look at this and and see, okay, what makes for favorable, favorable conditions for wholehearted worship of Christ? I've been talking about this for months now. What are the favorable conditions through which God can work to bring our heart wholly under his authority? And I'm just going to bring out uh, a few of these that I, I think is given to us, verse 16 through 20, these conditions that God can use. First of all, as we learned last week, Prayer can provide the power and wholehearted living. Prayer is one of the conditions that God can use and work, as we looked at last week. Uh, that was last week's sermon, so just go back and listen if you didn't hear that. This is about how God can release His power in this world 
through prayer. That was the whole point. See in verse 15, prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. The Lord will raise them up. If he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, verse 16, here's the second condition. We're going to look at the second and third condition today. Second condition, confession can provide the power and wholehearted living. Confession. Therefore, because if we have committed sins, we can be forgiven. Because the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. Because of that, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Notice that. One another. Pray for one another. This prayer isn't just for the elders, as we learned last week, but it's something for the church body to do for one another. It is to pray for one another and confess your sins to one another. I think that is something that we have left the Catholic Church and we see on TV the, the box where we confess to our priest and, and we think, I don't want anything a part of that. And so, uh, in consequence, we, we forget the role of confession of one to another. This is a biblical command for believers to be able to confess their sins to someone else. And you think, well, I don't know if I want to do that. That will make me uncomfortable. Well, it seems to me that that is exactly what God is looking for. Humility is not comfortable, is it? But it is the place where God gives his grace. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. One of the ways we humble ourselves is by confessing our sins to one another. Now, uh, this word, uh, verse 19 and 20, you see... Uh, the wandering from truth. It has the idea of erring from truth. And so there is a tendency that we have to just on our own, we get blind and we start to wonder. And there needs to be a role of confession here. Now, confession literally means to say the same thing as. To say the same thing as. So the idea is that maybe we start disagreeing with God. Here's what that looks like. Well, God, that's not really that big of a deal. I mean, that section of my life, no one really, it doesn't hurt anyone, God. Or, you know, God, that, that's just, uh, that's how I was raised. Or that's just uh, my family trait. I, I've, I'm Scotch, I'm Irish, I'm, I've got, you know, I've got this temper. Or, you know, Lord, that, that's just, if we talk about that, if I bring that up, that's really going to hurt some people. And so, and so we start, we, we disagree with God. That is, do you know that's your default? When God provokes us, God speaks to our heart, God gives us the word, or, or God uses someone like myself or others to teach the word, our default is to, to diminish it and to disagree. But the Holy Spirit is speaking, and so to confess means to say the same thing as, in other words, to agree with what the Holy Spirit is saying through his word. Yes, God, I see this as a sin. It is something that is hateful by you, that is disgusting to you, and now I'm starting to not diminish it anymore, but to agree with you about. Uh, so uh, this is part of what confession is. Now let me just give you a few, some, some tips on confession. Confession should be in the same realm, the same sphere as the sin. In other words, if your sin is just between you and God, in other words, the, the thoughts of your heart and nothing that you've done towards someone or said to someone, then your confession should be in that same realm. 
before God and God alone. So in other words, you're not going to come up to someone and say to them, you just need to know I have been extremely jealous of you and that car. Now, why should you not do that? Because that is an attitude that you've dealt with with God, and so your confession needs to be in that same realm between you and God. Your confession is given to someone for healing, not for wounding. All right. So sometimes we might want to say something, uh, and and it's kind of a backhanded way of I'm confessing, but I'm really trying to get a, a stick in on you because you know you bought that new BMW, and so I'm just I confess I've got jealousy in my heart, and and so we start saying that when really we're trying to undermine and say you buy such a nice car and we're trying to bring condemnation in that way our confession is for healing not for wounding now if in our jealousy we do start making comments and snide remarks and snippets at this person and we're starting to hurt them then our confession now needs to move not just between us and God but now to this person to whom we said it or before the group of people that we said it so our confession needs to follow in the same realm, same sphere of our sin. So consequently, if our sinning is before a large group of people, or impacts a large group of people, then the confession has to be the same. This is why you see in passages like Titus, Timothy, when it comes to spiritual leaders in a church community that when there is to be rebuke it is to be done in a public setting and that if the sin is impacting our large group that the confession is to be done in a large setting this is why not many of us should be teachers as james brings out there is an accountability that comes with us so just keep in mind that the confession moves in the same sphere of the sin. Now let me just share with you a few other things that might be helpful for you as you consider um, confession. Uh, Gary Chapman, who wrote the book, The Five Love Languages, followed up later on with the idea that there are some languages of apology. Let me just share with you uh, some that he said. Have you ever heard someone confess in a public setting and think, that was no good? Or that was a good, that was a good confession. What makes a good confession? What makes a poor one? Well, first, there needs to be a statement of, I'm sorry. There needs to be an expression of regret. There needs to be an understanding that their behavior, the words, the things we've said has hurt the people around us. So there needs to be an expression of sorrow for what you've done. And then, this is where a lot of people don't do it. There needs to be a statement of asking for forgiveness. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? If you ever work with children, you'll, you'll know this. You'll see this. You'll tell them, say you're sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you're sorry. <laughs> I mean, they're just, they have a great way of undermining that. But then when you ask them, Okay, now ask for forgiveness. 
You say to your sibling, will you forgive me? In other words, the ball needs to be in the other person's court. You're the one damaged them, and so they get to be the one who will decide whether or not the relationship will go, and if it does go, how it will go. We lose control when we see the need to seek forgiveness, request forgiveness. And then, accept responsibility. I was wrong. Name your mistake. Don't do like Adam did in the first sin. Well, you know, God, the woman you gave me, she made me eat it. That's our tendency, right? And then Eve said, well, God, you know that serpent you made? Well, they tempted me. They deceived me. And, and so our constant uh, default is, well, who, who's to blame for this? To accept responsibility, to say I was wrong. And then to say, I will try not to do it again. To say uh, an expression of uh, repentance. That I do not want to continue down this behavior. I want to do some changes in my life. And then finally, what can I do to make it right? What can I do to make it right? In other words, restitution. Uh, there is a, you know, you set the stage. I've done this wrong. What can be done to make it right? And this is when you're working with children where it get, hits home. All right, that means you take your salary and you're going to pay for that broken window. What? You know, just like, that, that's when it, the rubber meets the road. And so when we talk about confessions, because therefore confess your sins to one another, this is something that has to be done because there's sin in our heart and life. And so I want you to understand that a good community isn't one devoid of sin. A lot of times we think, well, okay, you see that church, bad things happen. Yes, every church will have sin. There will be major failures in the parts of people's lives. But that is not the test of godliness. Because that is how we all are. The real evidence of a healthy community is, this, is there an abundance of confession? Is there abundance of forgiveness? It's not whether or not people say they're sorry or they, they do wrong or not. It's whether or not they say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? What can I do to make it right? I harmed you. This humility is a rare thing. In fact, it is unique among believers in Jesus Christ who can say, I am free to say I'm no good. I'm free to say that I mess up royally sometimes. I'm free to say that I've got issues because their issues was never the grounds of acceptance or denial. It was the grace of God because it's the grace of God that forgives us. It frees us up to say, hey, you know what? I messed up, but God loves me anyway. And let me just share some of these things with you. And I pray that God will work in your heart to demonstrate the same grace that he's given to me and that I want to give to you. That is such a rare thing that so many times as churches, we more likely copy the unbelieving networks around us. And so we're just going to talk about the safe issues, not bring up how our heart right really be struggling. Are the emotional issues, are the mental sicknesses and things that we deal with. This is part of confession. Now, confess your sins to one another. Get that. It's not just to God. 
it is to a brother or sister in Christ. Let me ask you this very important question. Do you have anyone in your life that is a believer that you have given permission to ask you difficult questions? Why not, if you haven't? Why not? As I read the scripture, we're learning how easy our heart can shift away from being wholehearted under the authority of Christ to being divided. Easy. That is kind of my tendency. If I know that's my tendency, then unless something happens to help me stay under the authority of Jesus Christ, that I'm going to err, I'm going to drift, I'm going to move away. If I know that about myself, if I love Jesus enough, if I see the beauty of who he is, I don't want to lose the beauty of Jesus working in my life. And so above all things, even before my own reputation, I love and want Jesus more. So let my reputation go to pot if it helps me have Christ. Which means to say to a brother or sister, you just need to know that these are issues I deal with. I had a, 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 a friend of mine do that most recently. And as part of an answer to my own prayer for God to work and provide this opportunity. And, and he came up to me and just shared with me his concerns and needs. And, and here's one of the things. Have you ever had a sin that you just continually go back to? It's just, it's just constant. Now, I say that rhetorically, but I know if I asked, every single one of us would raise their hand. You need to know that. Every single one of us would raise their hand. That there is a sin that we continually tend to go back to. And, and we read passages in James and think, oh my goodness, you know, I'm kind of concerned because this reveals my heart is not holy for him. What do I do? God, I need grace. I need your work in my life. And we pray that and we ask God, you know, can you save me from myself? Can you save me from my sin? But it seems we keep on going back. Listen, a major strategy given by God. Remember, how does God give us more grace? He gives it to those who are humble, resist their proud. If that's the case, God gives grace to the humble. And then within that, he says, confess your sins to one another. A major component is to find a Christian brother or sister and say, you need to know this is my issue. This is what I keep coming back to. I need someone to ask me. I need it. It's been in the dark. It's been in shame. It's been something I close and I don't want anyone to know about. And listen, God worked, or Satan works in the dark. He works in the shame. But if you take it and say, I'm going to trust a brother and sister. I'm going to bring the light of Christ into this issue and expose it with the light of Christ. What is the light of Christ? Well, what is the body of Christ? Isn't that Christ? The body of Christ visible working through a church today. And so part of bringing Christ into it is take his body and expose the issue to some within that group. And say, pray for me. Ask me the hard questions. Drag it into the light. Let God's grace work. You will be amazed. Absolutely amazed. How the freedom and grace of Christ will be given to you when you share it with a brother or sister that you'll trust. 
Right now as it is, you know the shame and you know the burden. If you keep going down the same path, that's not going to decrease at all. It's going to increase. But when you bring a brother or sister into it, let them pray with you. Let them ask you hard questions. You will be amazed at the liberty and grace of God that will be given. Trust it and see. Now that being said, prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Verse 19 and 20, my brother, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back. So let me just share with you a third component of this, a condition for having wholeheartedness in Christ. So we've talked about how prayer can provide the power in wholehearted living. Confession can provide the power in wholehearted living. And a reclamation minister can provide a power in wholehearted living. What is a reclamation minister? It is someone who is a brother and sister in Christ, sees someone drifting away and takes it upon them to serve them, pray for them, speak truth to them, confront them if need be, but long for them to come back to Jesus Christ. And that is what every believer in Christ is to be. Because we all will need it at some point. My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth, errs and goes away, soon someone brings him back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let me just share with you in this reclamation minister, this person who wants to reclaim others for Christ, is born out of love, not out of anger. Sometimes the temptation is, man, you see what they did? How they're hurting people. It makes me so angry because of the injustice being done. And this anger starts to motivate us. And, and the problem we've learned in James that the, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so there must be instead a love for God and a love for this person, a longing, a mourning for them, that to do so with tears and sorrow to say, I long for you to be walking back with Christ. I long for you to know your heart to be in submission to Christ. So look for that. So it's motivated out of love. You know, you remember the story of the prodigal son? It was one of the stories looked at in Vacation Bible School. And, and basically you have two sons to the, to the father. And uh, one foolishly says to the father, I want my stuff. I want my side of the inheritance. Give me what I want. I'm going to do as I will. And he, father grants it amazingly goes and spends his money like crazy and loses it all until the end where he's desperate for money, desperate for food, finds a job taking care of pigs, and in that moment realizes the, the, what he's done and said, my servants in my father's home are treated better than this. I will go back to my father and I will plead for him to forgive me, not to be his son, but let me work in his fields. The other brother was there working the whole time. Never left just stayed right there. But the father was looking for the son, and when the son came, he ran to him, hugged him, kissed him. Didn't even let the son finish his statement. But the father said to the servants, bring the best robe, rings for his fingers, kill fatted animal, for my son was gone and now has returned. The servants did as the father asked. They brought the robe. They brought the rings. They killed the lamb. They joined in the celebration of the father. But meanwhile, the older brother was sitting at a distance, heard the celebration came, 
and said, what is going on? Found out about the brother, and he did not join in in the seeking, did not join in the celebrating, but said to the father, I've been with you the whole time. I've not had a fatted animal. I've not had a ring. I've not had a robe. It's interesting. They both wanted the same things. One did it by rebelling, and the other one did it by trying to be good. Neither one of them enjoyed the father. Just his stuff. He said that to all the, Jesus said the story to all the Pharisees that were around. They couldn't join in the celebrating. As believers, we are servants to the Father. The Father is the one who reclaims His people. The Father is the one who grants repentance, who drives hearts to Him, who can give wholehearted, uh, wholeheartedness and healing to our heart, but He allows us to be the servants, to come in and celebrate with Him and to join in. And so when you have a burden for a brother, you have a burden for a sister, and you see what's going on, it burdens your heart, that is God working in your heart, working in your life, and he wants you to participate in the reclamation of his servants to himself. And it, is, it may be just to pray, it may be to speak, it may be to love, it's to draw them back as God gives you those opportunities. Rejoice in it when it happens. You know, as I was thinking about this, Jesus is our oldest brother. He's the one who seeks us. He's the one who strives for us, sacrifices for us. It's thinking back to this idea of being tied to one another on a mountain precipice and whether or not I could withstand Julie's fall. Realizing I don't think I could. She needs someone much stronger, much bigger. So here's the beautiful thing. When we're tied to one another, we're also tied to Jesus Christ. And when we're walking in these mountains and we stumble and we fall and we feel our heart, our minds grasping and falling away from Christ, Christ is the one who is the anchor of our soul. And so our appeal is not just, is Chris capable to hold me to him, to Christ? Is, is, is my wife there to pray for me, to ask me hard questions? Is she capable in my strength and my confidence? Isn't just in the brothers and sisters of Green Pines Baptist, but it's also in Jesus Christ to whom we are tied. And so when we join in reclaiming others, we are tied to Jesus. And it's his strength, his love, his wisdom, his words. And as we pray, you remember what we learned last week? He's the one praying for us, interceding. And so when we see one walking away from Christ, know that Jesus is interceding on their behalf. We join in with Christ and we are tied to him. Jesus had a saying, the words he said he heard the Father say. The idea is for us to do the same thing. The words we say are the words we hear the Father and the Son say as we read in the Word of God and we share it with others and pray for God's working to be done. Let us pray for whole hearts. Would you give permission to someone to ask you hard questions? You need God's grace. Grace comes through humility. And humility comes through confession. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for 
brothers in my own life, Lord, who will ask me hard questions. Father, that there are no areas of my life that I've not granted to someone to ask a question, Lord. And God, how we need that. Lord, I pray that everyone here would have that sister, have that brother that they could ask and talk to and share with them and humble themselves, Lord, to let them know that that our, our life isn't bundled up in our reputation of what the church thinks of us, Lord, but our life is bundled up in what you think of us and your grace to us. So God, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who ties us to himself. And Lord, where your son goes, we go. And so, Father, we want to hold on to you who's holding on to us. And so, Father, help us to be those ministers of reconciliation, those people who will reclaim others, Lord. Father, help us to confess our sins to one another, longing and looking for your grace. Lord, that this would be a community that is not devoid of sin, but one that is filled with confession and forgiveness and repentance that we might live off your grace because it's how we can stand to begin with. Lord, I pray that this will be true. So Lord, let us trust you and know the sweetness of trusting you. And Lord, that whatever comes, though brothers and sisters may not fit the bill, you will through your son Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.